Welcome to Happy Path Programming. I'm Bruce Eckle. I'm James Ward. All right. Well, welcome. Yay. Here we are. Been a few weeks, but uh, today we ha have with us Doman. Did I say that right? Yes, that's correct. Okay. <laughs> and you are, um, well, I'll have you introduce yourself, but the reason why we had you on is because so many times on the podcast and on Twitter and places, everyone tells us that Nix is the thing we dream of. It's like, mm -hmm. like when, when I complain about anything, they're like, oh, Nix solves that. And we just hear that over and over and over again. And so we thought we'd have an episode on Nix so that we can learn more about it right. and, and explore it, how it will solve And the upcoming episode stimulated us to take a dive into it. That's right. I, I ended up installing um, Nix on a Windows subsystem for Linux. Uh, there were a little few hiccups there, um, but uh, but it's working now. So, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I put in an issue when I got stuck, and I ended up solving it. So it's sort of a <laughs> solved your own if, issue. If somebody has trouble installing it, then just go look for my issue on their uh, and specifically on, on installing it in WSL. Yeah, yeah, because it's it's not an officially supported um, um, package or. Distribution. Is that that's distribution? That's correct, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It's 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 kind of uh, like some people use it and they contribute fixes, but it's it's not actively tested. So it's good to to open the issues and and keep it right. going. Yeah, yeah. So maybe let's start with uh, about you. We yeah. you know we this is the first we've uh, met you, and so tell us who you are and what you do, and and yeah, what your history with Nix is. Oh, there's a lot of history. Um, I'll try to, to keep it short. Um, yeah, I didn't realize it started like 15 years ago. That was surprising it, to me because I it's actually 20. There's 20 years be, Yeah, there's going to be like kind of like celebration on, in March, hopefully, that we're trying to pull together and for you guys 20 have years. A conference and... Yes, there's a year. Well, there was a yearly conference now. It's a, every three right. years, uh, yeah. counting from the last. But uh, yeah, right. there is one, and there's going to be likely one in U.S. actually, hopefully this year. Oh, cool. Nice. Um, nice. Okay, so who are you? <laughs> right. So um, oof, I've, I've been doing um, kind of packaging and software distribution work since I was a student. Um, I did a Google Summer of Code for... I think two or three times even. Nice. Um, and when was that? That was 2010 and something okay. like this. I think that was the first year. Um, and I, I used to use Gentoo. <laughs> that was uh, oh, before I love Gentoo. Uh, I Gentoo is one of my favorite things in the world. I don't use it anymore, but um, just got a little. I didn't want to be a sysadmin anymore. Um, but <laughs> but I you know ran Gentoo servers and my, Gentoo was my desktop. And, and anyways, Gentoo yeah. is great. So, so <laughs> glad to hear Gentoo. you got a Gentoo. I, I used to love Gentoo, and and I still do. And it was yeah my favorite distribution. Um, and. Um, one of the reasons I switched to Nix from Gentoo was actually that, you know, once I was at a client in Finland and, and I needed to recompile the whole computer because there was <laughs> something I needed and it was it was quite a hell. Yeah. Um, so I, I needed to, to find a, something that works better for um, those kind of scenarios. But mm -hmm. anyway, we can talk about this later. So so I did that and I used to also do um, Python, Python development, um, kind of a bit of everything. Nice. Um, and I was part of a 
small community called Plone. It's a very old CMS. I um, I worked with the some of the Plone people, and we've oh. had well, we had Jim um, Fulton. Jim Fulton, he came out here for a oh. little developer retreat at one point. Huh. And nice. yeah, no, I've known him for for many years, and uh, some of the other people on the Plone. I never figured it out myself. <laughs> but I got, I got, you know, a little bit into it. Nice. Yeah. So they were so very smart people there working yeah. in, in the blow community yeah. and uh, that brought a lot of good stuff and the bad stuff. So um, mm-hmm. that was interesting. Yeah. I worked, I used to work with Plone and it was still my favorite community out there um, huh. in open source. Um, but one problem we did have is that it was really big and hard to package. And uh, one day, uh, Florian Friesdorf, my friend, came to me and said that, you know, he has some friends who are doing PhD and they know about Nick. So this was, I think, 2012 or something about, yeah, more than 10 years ago, I think. So um, did Nick start as a PhD project? Yes, it did. Yeah. Elko Dostro wrote it as a PhD um, project in Utrecht, which has one of the biggest, I think, in Europe functional language, um, like, Huh. I don't know what they're called, laboratories or, or something yeah. in the universities <laughs> or in the world, probably. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so we tried to to use Nix to to kind of uh, fix blown packaging, which we didn't end up doing uh, cr- that easily. But we did. I did end up uh, using Nix and going deeper into uh, the whole ecosystem of, of what has been built there. Nice. Um, so you dove into the world of Nix and and started contributing at some point and and yes the, and then where are you at now? Like I I think I saw there's a company kind of behind Nix that you co-founded. Is that right? Yes. Um, so I did some. Um, I think it was 2016. I I started consulting around Nix, um, but then quickly I saw that you know so many people need this that it's consulting is not the best approach because it's too much tailored to specific people. Um, so, um, I created Cashix, uh, in 2000, wait, it's been four or five years. I don't even know. I don't keep track. Yeah. I think 2018. Um, (laughs) and, um, it grew up basically out of a simple project, which is okay. Let's, so in X, you have this concept where you can build a package and distribute it to um, uh, some file system storage, yeah. like S3 or something. Yeah. Um, and then if if you build the same package again, which has the same hash, and you know this hash kind of means that it's, it is exactly the same package, then you can kind of short circuit that process of, of building the package and just get the binary um, and you know skip the whole build. Um, so that source versus binary distribution is not a dilemma anymore. It's kind of a design choice in X that you can have both. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what Cashix did was like created a project where you can just, you know, with a few clicks, create is your own namespace, uh, your own uh, thing. And, you know, it's, it's really nice because for GitHub small projects, for open source projects or private projects, it makes it much easier to set up. Um, yeah. And then I created a company um, which which does like a freemium model, like GitHub. You know, private stuff is paid, and and public stuff is kind of free. Nice. Um, that's um, so, so. The core technology then is the the like binary cache side of, underneath Nix or something. Is that? Yeah. 
Um, nice. That's the that's the the main thing that that Cashix does. Um, and then based on on you know customers uh, paying for this, I've been working on Cashix, and uh, I, um, I did Nix.dev, which is I, th I think still one of the best resources to learn Nix today. I wrote like nice. about fifteen tutorials like how to set it up for Raspberry Pi, how to build Docker images and all this kind of like common stuff. Um, yeah, and, and it funded a bunch of things. Now we have Cashix Deploy Dev and, uh, and, and so on. So we can we can talk about those. Nice, yeah. Uh, so assume that we know nothing about Nix. What, what is Nix? What problem is it solving? Right. <laughs> so, so Nix... Um, Nix kind of tries to 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 look at this was the PhD actually tried to look at software distribution and packaging and apply um, functional programming kind of thinking to it. Um, this is not a uh, how you would today describe Nix, but this was you know how it used to be, how it Virgin, came yeah. to be. Um, how I would say today is is it's it's a DevOps toolkit where you have kind of one tool that does. Um, package manager um, role, it does software distribution deployments role, it does, um, you know, building of, of anything you can think of from developer environments to Docker images. Um, it's I like the way I like to see it, it's kind of like a, a small language, which allows you to, to, to describe your, your software distribution, you know, whole pipeline and everything. Yeah. Um, and thank and, God it's not YAML. Yes, it it is not YAML. Um, it's it's a fairly small language, but because it's functional, it takes a bit of time for people to to kind of grasp the concepts um, of how it works. I found that because I was I'm just in the last day, I've been looking at the language itself, and I was realizing, okay, I have been immersed enough in functional languages that I can look at this and go, sure, I get what you're doing here. But it's like, okay, I'm over the hump. Yes. And the people before the hump who are used to, you know, uh, what do we call them? Algol style languages? I don't remember what, hmm. how we classify, you know, C, Java, you know, all these other yeah, languages the syntax style yeah that particular yeah. syntax style there's a there's a overarching name i think for it it's like if you're coming from that you look at this and you go what why are you because i've had that experience just looking yes. at it going boy this seems really awkward and now it's like no that's fine i get it mm -hmm. but you have to have a certain amount of exposure to this other style before it seems natural and I'm not sure how we shepherd the unwashed <laughs> masses into this style. Functional languages and yeah, yeah. That's I mean, this is what we've been struggling away with from for a while. How do YAML, we, how JSON. Do we, how do we make functional languages make sense to people who are used who and well, I'm responsible partially for making object oriented programming seem like a good idea. <laughs> so uh, how do we fix well, that? I know. It was it was at the time, right? I, I think yeah. it has yeah, it, it well, I think it was a good hypothesis. Yes. And then in the process of actually doing, you know, using it a long time, we've seen, oh yeah, um, it, maybe encapsulation 
it, it had a good intention, but yeah. the way that it actually works isn't really that big of a help, <laughs> especially compared to immutability. Yes, and, and the, the way change. the way I like to to think about this is like object-oriented programming is more like how the world works. You know, you have a tree and it has properties versus functional is more how machines actually work. So it's more modeled towards huh. this is just uh, like one way to look at it. But I, I think it's the, the it just takes time. And, you know, actually um, like React in, in JavaScript did a fantastic job of, of teaching people functional language uh, principles. Yeah. Um, Really and I, I think I think you know a lot of people have done React, so if they did it, they already know uh, mm -hmm. quite a mm -hmm. few. Um, so I think the way to to teach people is well to get them young and <laughs> to, yeah. to to Don't introduce this concept. Well. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, and and, and, I, I've also come to the I, I've started thinking. Well, you know, OO isn't completely useless because some people will go, "Oh, we made a huge mistake. We should never have done." It's like. On the sort of surface level, it's a nice way to package your library because it, you know, handles it, it provides a nice interface to the library, and you can have dot completion, and you've got the constructors and destructors, stuff like that. So for the end user of that library, it does make things nicer. It's just that we took it too far. If we <laughs> if we'd have kept it at that surface level, I think we would have been um, better off. That's yeah, just my current thinking. <laughs> no, I agree. So, my, my my thinking has always been like you know, as long as it's a small script and something that you know will not grow beyond you know, like a small thing, it's yeah. it's perfectly valid and and it works, does the job. Works well. on the small, not on the big. <laughs> yeah, we keep running into that. So, I am trying to. I I one of the things that I found confusing about my early brushes with Nix was the difference between Nix and NixOS and why does NixOS exist? And also it was just presented as, oh, well, this is an operating system. And my first thought was, I have to learn another operating system. It, <laughs> the, the stuff that I've seen didn't present it as, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but it looks like a Linux distro to me yeah yes and is it a linux distro or did you actually build up a clone of a posix system using uh nix so yeah there's there's many misnomers in nix community because it was done such a long time ago and never fixed but um it is a linux distro essentially it's it's a bunch of you know packages glued together with a bunch of configuration the only thing that is different is that you have like one declarative file that you can kind of copy to a machine and say, okay, this is how I describe my machine and, you know, build it. And, and, you know, this is how it, this is how it should look. And you can copy to there and build it and kind of uh, activate it as we say. And um, this makes it extremely nice because in the good old days, you would, you know, go and install one package and another package and configure something. And, you know, few months later, uh, probably years, you have no idea how to reproduce that machine anymore. <laughs> um, it's just, um, there is no way to go to, to, re to replicate that. Um, so this yeah, is, the, let me try to draw an analogy real quick. We um, did an episode a while back on like event sourcing and, and uh, the idea that 
there's two different ways that you can do data in the data world. You can have a table. And when you have a table view of the world, like a traditional database, any updates you do to that table, uh, the, the event that caused the change in the table is essentially gone after it's performed. You mutate the table. You mutate then, the table. Based on the event, and, then you don't care about the event. Yeah, whereas event sourcing says, no, let's not keep a table. Let's keep track of just all the events. And then it, it, we can always materialize our state by replaying the events. And so it sounds to me like like Nix, or let's start with a traditional operating system. Traditional operating system is like a table. You've lost the history of all the mutations that you did to get to your current state. And so it's very hard to, if you need to recreate your current state, it's very hard to figure out how you got into that state. And I experience pain with this all the time. Whenever I get a new laptop, it takes me days to get it back to the state that I want my laptop in because there inevitably is some configuration file that I changed at some point and I forgot that I changed that file. And so then I have to, you know, go on this path of re-remembering all the changes that I made to get to my laptop state. Humans are so fallible. So fallible. So Nick <laughs> takes a different approach and says, let's keep track of all the changes that need to be made to get to your current state of an operating system that that you know does what you need it to. Is that, a, is that a correct analogy? Um, it's, it's um, how to say, it's half correct. So okay. th the only difference is that we, we don't need to keep really this, this state, um, like the, the changes, but because it's not like a, th a thing that you, well, you, you have the history, of course, so you can go back and, and each, each kind of like, each time you activate the system, you kind of have a snapshot of what was built and what was that system. Um, but you don't need really the differences because everything is built from scratch and kind of glued together based on the config file that you're kind of, you know, that's the ultimate source of truth. Um, so there's, um, I think there's a really good uh, paper that talks about a con congruent and convergent uh, configuration systems. Huh. So convergent is like Ansible. You say, you know, I want this user to exist. So what it needs to do is is like, it needs to go to the machine, check if this user exists. If not, it will add it. If it exists, it will, you know, inspect the properties of the user and then it will do a diff, you know, does the home exist? Does it not? And right. so on. And it will try to like kind of converge to the desired state. Okay. And I think the congruent is where, where you kind of build that image kind of, you know, immutably, like you say, here are all the users that should exist and here you, here you go. Um, and you don't have to do this trickery state things where you have to kind of mutate state, but you kind of just build everything from scratch. Yeah. Um, so it's, of course, it's the difference between like transformations on immutable data versus mutating a file system or <laughs> mutating something. Yes. So the idea is is to to just build everything as much as we can from scratch, and and of course there's you know. Things like there is state, you know, there's configuration data and so on. So those things cannot be done this way. But for the most part, we can. So, um, so the thing is, the way I understand it is that all of these characteristics work if you just install Nix and don't install Nix OS. Is that right? All of these abilities? Yes, yes. Okay, Nix so is NixOS kind of a proof of concept or 
I'm, I'm still not sure why it exists. <laughs> so, um, so Nix is like really generally applicable. So, so Nix was just like, well, actually, you know, you can, so there's Nix packages, which is a collection of 70,000 packages. And it's, I was 80,000. Yeah, now 80. 000. Now 80,000, <laughs> most up-to-date repository, because we have a lot of bots doing automation. Ah. The, the most secure in terms of like the time that we need to take to apply patches and so on. So we've done a lot of automation work because of Nick's properties, not because we have superhumans in our community. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, so then the, the idea is, okay, now we use Nix to create packages, but then what is an operating system? Well, it's packages and configuration stuff. Configuration stuff is nothing more than a simple package, which we call a file. Um, and then we we build all of that and glue it together, and you have a you know a Linux distribution. Um, and it's not a, a proof of concept anymore because it's it's I think NixOS paper came out two thousand four, huh. uh, or I don't know. It's it's very old. It came quite quickly after Nix, um, and it's it's really I would say very widely used um, operating system these days. Well, Linux distribution, you know, yeah. depends on the terminology. So I can use Nix without having Nix OS. And the reason why I would want to do that is because I want to have some, some um, software packaging definition defined by the Nix language for, you know, whatever, for um, some server that I'm building or whatever. If I want to have my whole operating system be controlled through Nix and, and Nix scripts and packages, <laughs> yeah. Nix packages, then I can use Nix OS. So I can kind of decide where what level I want to be at for my Nix usage. Is that a correct summary? That is the correct summary, yeah. There is also a whole manager, which is kind of like a, a less ambitious project in terms of not taking the whole operating system. But it will kind of manage your home, use your home, so it will manage dot files, configuration files for that user. So that can be used with any Linux distribution or on macOS even. Um, POSIX, yeah. anything yeah. POSIX, I assume. Um, so since Nix itself is not attached to Nix OS, what's the story with? the world's largest operating system, Windows. It's like, it seems like you could support Windows with Nix if you wanted to. Is that not true or? You mean like as a native, uh, yeah. native, yeah. yeah some um, kind of native support. There's quite a few things that are that are quite hard uh, to implement there. I'm a bit out of sync on that, but um, you know, with WSL coming and, and being so good, People stopped caring that much, I think, because um, mm -hmm. it kind of you know does the job of, of people to to be able to use it. Um, but there's there there's would be some quite there's some operations that Nix does. For example, if I remember, one of the atomic operations uh, on on Linux is a symlink. And uh, when yeah, I was when just going to bring up symlinks and the, that being a challenge. <laughs> Yeah, so so when when Nick switches from what it calls a profile, so that's a snapshot of, of something you you have, you know, it could be a, just a package or or OS or whatever, it will switch a stream link from one tree to another, 
And and this is how it does, you know, what it claims it's atomic and while you can roll back and all that. So that is not an atomic operation in Windows as far as I'm aware. So, you know, all these things become, um, you know, leaky <laughs> and, and, and so on. Yeah. Um, okay. So, all right. Um, packages. Okay. I know there's a concept of derivations. Is mm-hmm. that right? Okay. Mm-hmm. So there's derivations, but then... There's packages, and when I did my WSL installation, I decided, okay, I'll see if I can do the little project that I'm working on now, which is using the Python Hatch um, Environment Manager, and, you know, anyway. And so, but I had to install Git and Python, and both of those were Nix packages, and I guess Mm -hmm. anything that I run under Nix OS, it has to be a Nix package. Um, is that, um, that sound right? Yeah. So, uh, that's where it gets a bit, um, tricky. So if, if you're using NixOS, then, then, um, what the, what the normal, any, any binary you build, um, expects usually is a, is kind of like the, the interpreter, um, that is kind of encoded. Um, and and this is non-existent as a global thing in Nix. So if you just download the binary, you know, from Ubuntu and you kind of run it, it will just not work. Um, it has because, to be packaged as a Nix uh, package. Exactly. So what okay. what we have in Nix is something called patch elf, which patches the elf information of of a binary, and it will kind of hard code something to to the interpreter and libraries. So mm-hmm. Um, we also have a utility called Auto Patch Half, which will just kind of discover these things and and do it for you. But idea is that you you have to like link these things against uh, a specific Nix packages for these things to work. And and nowadays there's more things that that people uh, develop to to make it more seamless. But um, yeah. so the and the reason for this is that a normal Linux system is going to have libc in a specific place, and so when a binary runs, it knows where to find libc, and it knows you know what libc is, and and what you know assumes some version of libc, whatever. So there's a bunch of a bunch of assumptions that are made about the 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 underlying dependencies, and in Nix, every dependency needs to be explicit and part Hashed. of yeah, and part of Nix and so so you have to take a binary and and make it understand the Nix system because it can't just go find libc in the usual place or something is that accurate Yeah that's accurate and and I, I think you know Nix takes it really far and I think that there is going to be more and more in the future as people adopt Nix like helpers you know cuz sometimes you you know you get like government software or something like this and you know it just needs to work um, so there's quite a few methods out there to run these kind of things, but in general, you don't want that because then you're back to the old days. Um, right. Um, and yeah, and- you really want to have it from the ground up, mm-hmm. like everything understanding the world of Nix. But a package takes an existing executable, does it not, and then wraps something around it, or is something else yes. going? On? Okay. So bas- so so what it does is it takes a binary and it will patch and point all the dynamic libraries and pin it, you know, specifically to what is provided by Nix. Um, so it's it's kind of like a typical build, but instead of building from source, it will just hard code the, 
the dynamic libraries and the interpreter, glibc, everything, and um, you have and it's using uh, kind of, sim links for all of that. Um, it's using um, patch elf, so it will actually patch the binary and and um, kind of replace the. So usually you would have the interpreter and how to look up these the libraries, and then it will just say you know load lib something dot so. Um, but in this case, it will be the full path to the package. So, you know, niche slash nick slash store the hash and, you know, glibc 2.3 and so on. Um, so every package, every part of every package is pinned to a specific um, hash. hash. Mm -hmm. And so, and if that hash doesn't exist on that machine, it goes and gets it. Um, and that way... Yeah. That That's way, there's never a surprise. Like if I happen to be running uh, something and it's using uh, an older version of libc that has a bug in it or something like that, that doesn't show up because I know exactly every single component that's in my application. But it's yes. not embedded in a, in a binary. It's all linked. And so if you have most of those things, it doesn't have to go download them. It just goes and gets what you need. Okay, so you're nodding. Now, there is another system, which is, it was, you know what I'm talking about. The guys who wrote the Red Book, they're... Oh, Unison. Unison. So mm -hmm. do you know about Unison? I know about Unison and some of the ideas, but I'm not that familiar. Because um, a lot, it sounds like a lot of the ideas here, uh, you know, hashing everything and never, you wouldn't ever all references being hashed reference hash references, references and you would and... never recompile anything unless something changes, and in which case you recompile it and it, that thing now has a new hash. All of that sounds like what Unison's been working on. Yeah as well at the program in like a general purpose programming yeah, language level right, not, right. not so much at the so, so that's kind of fascinating yeah yeah, yeah, yeah unison is quite similar in that sense except it kind of uh, transfers that to general computing uh, kind of yeah right and not right not systems right right yeah. not looking at um, packaging and building systems in particular so a lot of this is targeted at um, alleviating some of the pain that we've had with with portability of a binary essentially right it's like i've got this program mm -hmm. and i want to run it over here well what is that binary essentially linked against what does it need to run and nick says all right your your nick's package describes everything that it needs uh in the you know tr full tree so that it always knows how to get to get a program able to run based on that dependency tree is that accurate <laughs> sounds like yeah yeah that's that's accurate yes mm -hmm. um, cool. it, it knows the full graph of of so basically when you build a you know a package it has the full graph of build dependencies yeah and then to to determine the runtime dependencies just kind of scans for these hashes and you know everything that that it depends on then is a dependency for running because it's in the source yeah. um and then you, if you copy that, you know, we call it closures. It's, it's a, you know, the, the dependency tree um, to another machine. You can just run it as long as, you know, it's the same system. Yeah. Um, so nice. one, of the, one of the really nice 
thinks about Nix uh, is is replicating developer environments, for example, because you have Linux and Mac OS support, and and you can pin all these things, so you know anyone can just um, get the same kind of tooling, and and you know in the in the old days you would install you know some software from your favorite distributions, but you had a team of twenty people, and now you know everybody has a different version, different bugs, and so on. Yeah, um, yeah, and then all sorts of pain when you end up binding to some native library, and then you know how does the user install the native library that's needed, and the build chain, like so, the build chain can support it. Like just so many challenges. So, can understand why the world created Docker, but yes. it seems like like I don't know. To me, having a declarative dependency definition from what you're building all the way down is is a much better approach than than just like trying to shove a bunch of binaries around and i don't know we can talk about docker and all the issues that mm-hmm. i have with it but maybe maybe too far off topic <laughs> yeah well the way i see this is like docker was kind of hijacked to solve the building issues but really they're a bit orthogonal and, and they work together really well. So the way I see Docker is it's kind of like runtime isolation, you know, between, um, you know, networking, networking isolation, file system isolation, all that while the something runs or containers, you know, um, but Nix is a, all about the building part. So when you actually glue those two things together, you, you get kind of like the perfect thing. Um, yeah. But on the other hand, when you do like, let's say local development, I think containers are a complete overkill um, because yep. you don't really need a containers in, in that case. Um, yeah. Cause yeah, usually you yeah, want it's like you're, you're, you people reach for containers for that because that was kind of the, the only thing available to give you some, some developer environment consistency, but it was just like such a blunt force object to solving mm. the problem. Like you didn't, people don't need to go that far. It's the adapter pattern on steroids. Yeah. Yes. Um, so let's, let's talk a little more about developer environment stuff with Nix because <laughs> I, I have not tried to use Nix as, as a developer environment. Um, I, what I'm assuming would happen is, so I do a lot of stuff in Java and Kotlin and Scala. And so I would have a Nix script in my Git repo that would be able to bootstrap my tool chain so that then I could have, you know, be sure that I've got the right version of Java, that I've got any system dependencies that I need. I've got the build tool, Gradle, SBT, whatever. And so then I could uh, run nix a nix shell against my nix script that's in my git repo and now have my development environment set up and ready to go with everything that i need is that was that that's right correct, way to look at yeah. it? so w- one of the problems in in nix is that that each language has kind of like a different api and so so actually i don't know if you if you guys have seen but i've i've started this project called devenv.sh um in I did see that, yeah. In yeah. November, I think, where which kind of tries to to make this quite simple. So you just say it's kind of like NixOS configuration, but for projects and developer environments. So you can yeah. say, 
languages.java.enable, languages.kotlin.enable, and it will kind of pin everything down and provide you the basic tooling for that language. Um, And what I would like to do and what I'm working on now is that you can go, you know, between different versions um, and you you can already, like, kind of launch processes without containers. So the idea is that that when you do local development, you don't use containers, but then you can say build image and upload it to wherever you want. And then, you know, for deployment part, you, you yeah. then use containers. But you're sure that both of these are the same versions running in containers on your machine. Yeah. Um, so let's, I want to um, extend from the local development to the packaging and like deployment step. So mm-hmm. I would have a Nix script that would define how I get my environment ready for development. But then would I have like another Nix script that would define how it, how my application then gets packaged. And then, and then I would take that Nix script and, and put it on a server somewhere and be able to bootstrap my essentially server process or something from, from Nix. Is that, am I thinking about that? Yeah, that's correct. So you would, you would be able to generate a container um, and then you can run it wherever you want, for example. Um, so you would and, you would potentially still use a container as your as your packaging format for your server if you want to. But yeah, do exactly. people so you can do it that way. And then do people also just like in production have a Nix script that you know builds their production server? Is that an option too? Or yeah, yeah, you can you can just copy that that thing to to any computer and, and run it. So it's it's you you're not tied to containers. Um, as long as as long as you can copy to slash nix slash store, uh, you're good to to go. So that's the only kind of requirement. Um, that Does you it have. play well with um, like VS Code and IntelliJ? Yeah. So. Um, for for kind of like these editor integrations, you need to to be able to to tell the editor like you know kind of run a command um, to activate the environment and then kind of source that. So in I don't know IntelliJ, but I know that for uh, Visual Code Studio, there's like dear env integration, um, and they kind of developed this. Ext- like they help develop these extensions for the dear env so that you can say, okay, dear env will load a bash environment and that will then be kind of like the source of truth for the editor of, of what is the environment um, about. Nice. And uh, we hope that more editors will support that. Not all of them do. Um, but that's kind of like the, the, because then this is kind of nice because you can encapsulate everything um, and you don't have to, you know, access any of this stuff from the system except the editor itself. Yeah. In that case. Nice. Yeah. And I'll have to mess around with that. I've had a lot of pain trying to do local development with Docker containers. And it's like, do you run your server in a container, but then you lose things like I like to do file watching to, you know, be able to uh, reload my server when I you know, change something. And that doesn't work when you're, when your process is in a container and then the IDE connection with a container, like it's just, it's just so much pain. So I like the uh, idea of not, not doing that. And instead having my editor um, just be a Nix environment aware and, and uh, that would Mm. 
certainly save a lot of pain. So the yeah. language is my impression. Of the language is that the goal is to is all is to only do enough to be able to create the uh, I forgot what the term is. The, the next, derivations. The derivations. derivations. Okay. Yes. Which 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 is this text description of what's going on is that yeah yeah the language is, is trying to be minimal so that that you know it's kind of easy to learn um but i always i always joke and, and it's there's more truth to it than, than a joke and i say that nix is like the javascript for devops because um <laughs> the language has some quirks and and honestly um I think you know if if someone would have designed it today, they would have done uh, a different job, and it was not meant to be the DevOps toolkit. Just just like JavaScript was never meant to right. to run the world. Um, but um, I'm still hopeful that you know now that there's a lot more companies coming to the ecosystem, that it will have kind of same fate as as JavaScript. That people will 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 you know nurture it and improve it and 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 uh, make it better. Yeah. Um, so kind of developer and experience has been a pretty, um, popular topic in the last year or two. And, and yeah. yeah, that's where a lot of focus goes to. Did, did the Nix language, was it created like at the same time as Nix itself? Like, uh, and maybe I'm getting terminology wrong. Like I imagine Nix is kind of the, 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 there's p different pieces to it. One is the language that you define Nix scripts or whatever and derivations. And derivations and then there's the thing that actually re reads those and does something with them so was the language always there like from the beginning or or did that come later what was the history on that as far as i know the language came together with the with the package manager yeah the, the, yeah so that's one of the confusing parties the naming so it's the package manager the language um and then then the the packages that come are just kind of one implementation of that. There could be another, but it's it's the only one. So, um, yeah. yeah I was curious if the language was used elsewhere. We had um, Gabriella from Dahling mm -hmm. on mm -hmm. uh, a while back, and it was interesting to see how Dahl was being used in a variety of different places in different ways. But is is Nix only used in Nix, or or people picked it up for other uses as well? Oh, people have done crazy things with it. Um, <laughs> what, what, what have I don't know? I think someone wrote a Lisp interpreter and Nix and, and things like that. So wow. um, I don't think there's many crazy, really useful things. But you know, people people always try to to be yeah. creative, and and it's cool. Mm -hmm. But yeah, huh. it's it's very specific to 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 describing how you know software is glued together essentially. Um, yeah. So beyond that, I think it has a lot of use beyond art yeah well yeah and i think i read in the documentation they somebody described it as this is a domain specific language this yes exactly general purpose language yes which, um, um which i think is nice because it makes it less confusing because you know if it's general purpose you're going well when would i ever use this feature and the answer is well you wouldn't so why is it in the language yeah. whereas here it's just like no all we're doing is creating these derivations and yes it has functions but their goal is to create the derivations 
So. Exactly. And actually, Guix, I, I never know if that's the right, the right pronunciation, was kind of a, a friendly fork that Ludovic did many years ago. Um, and, and their take is that they took Scheme, which is, I think, a, a Lisp implementation, and yeah. is a general language, and they kind of do the same thing, but with a general language. Um, I don't, I don't, I personally am not a fan of Scheme, but I, I understand why, and, and it's kind of, you know, um, an interesting path. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's interesting. Do you start with a general purpose language and then try to DSL it into a more constrained thing? And that's what exactly. Pants did with Python. Um, we learned about mm-hmm. it in our, our last episode. Uh, and that's similar to what Gradle did with Groovy and with Kotlin. Mm-hmm. Or do you just have a language that is intentionally constrained and, and doesn't, you know, let you do that. I think one of the challenges with, with what we've seen a lot of times with declarative languages like YAML for Kubernetes, YAML for whatever, is that people pretty quickly reach the, the bounds of what the language enables mm-hmm. you to do. And then mm-hmm. you need to figure out, okay, what's my escape? How patch? do we hack on it? Yeah. How do we, and they end up, you know, coming up with all sorts of crazy ways to generate uh, the declarative language using yet another language, and it just all falls apart very quickly. Whereas I really like the the Nix and Doll approach is like we're you're going to be constrained, but you're at least going to have some like fundamental things that you likely will need, <laughs> like functions. <Yes. laughs> well, yeah, functions, and also I noticed the rec uh, where oh, you're creating this set. And I know, and, and I noticed they're very clear about set. So there's new duplicates. It's just, um, and then, oh, well, sometimes you need to refer to other things within that set definition. So we have a way to do that. And if you didn't have that, it would be messy. Yeah, and, so oh. there's, there's a few helpers like that in the language. But essentially, it's like, the way I see it is like, it's like JSON with functions, uh, you know, there's <laughs> JSONnet and QNet and a Q language and so on. And oh, when those are for JSON? Yeah, those are like more really JSON and, and functions, whereas Nix is, is basically the same, except it has this derivation function, which does, you know, all the heavy lifting of builds. So that's the, the third component to, to the language that I would say. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. No, it, it is all starting to make sense to me now. And in the process of installing Nix on, as my WSL, I ended up wiping out the the other one. So it's my only WSL <laughs> right now. So it's like, and, you know, it seems to be working and I'm curious about, oh, well, how far can I take this? What do I need to do? So I'm, yeah. I am, uh, I am uh, continuing to be curious about all of this. I, I need to to break off a partition on my laptop and mm-hmm. install NixOS on it and give it a, a good solid try because I just yesterday uh, finally got my audio in Ubuntu actually working. <laughs> and I'm, I, I intentionally put the tweet for like how I got it working like in a tweet so that when I get a new laptop, I'm going to remember to like, you know, go run that same command. But if That's I just switch to NixOS, then Twitter is still alive by the time you get, <laughs> you'll be going Let's back. See. Where did I put I downloaded my archive, but not oh. since the tweet yesterday. Right. So I'll have to go re-download my archive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What I recommend is like, um, and what many people do is is just to have a virtual machine and kind of try to 
if if you intend to yeah we to did use play with uh, VirtualBox with with yeah. NixOS and VirtualBox and that right. was a nice way to play with it but and WSL is kind of a virtual machine it you know it can crash and burn and it's not going to bring my Windows <laughs> down with it yeah that's that's the other way that is, is, is also nice yeah uh, you can... yeah well because the instructions the first instruction was here's how to install it just curl this thing off the internet and let it do whatever it wants on your machine and we were like going well we don't know enough about this to to trust that <laughs> yeah so so that's when we ended up setting up a virtual box to, to try it out with that um yeah so i i People, I think, were correct in telling us that Nix is it solves a lot of the things that we complain about, and we need to dive certainly dive further into it. And, I'm fascinated. And give give it a good shot. But mm -hmm. um, so thank you. I'm I'm very excited about diving in further, and I don't know why it took me so long because people have been telling me for well, a while. Well, I that... do because the, uh, the the I don't know the introductory experience mm -hmm. is not it's it's confusing and I like all functional programming things well I, yeah and i don't think it's just the functional programming and it's like i mean encountering okay so there's this thing called nix and then there's nix os and i'm going what and and then yeah i mean there there's a number of things that i think are really um tuned more towards maybe someone who's already a build engineer or uh, somebody who really is thinking about packaging problems yep. and you know wanting to to have a level of expertise that they're able to look at this it's it it's not yeah it doesn't have a real introductory onboarding introduction process yeah so that's what i would say kept me you know because i'd look at it and go no this is too weird <laughs> and now i'm too to different. the point where i look at it and go oh my gosh this is actually really uh <laughs> fascinating yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, I think it's, it's, a lot sorry. of people like like want to just ignore that you have to have some way to get to a place where you can run programs. I did for like, a long time. I just want to ignore that that is yeah. reality mm -hmm. and just run a program. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and yeah, <so laughs> it's it's like you know, I, I just want to have a button that deploys everything. That was you know, kind of the, <laughs> exactly. The, why is it so hard? Why is it the so same hard? With distribution. Yeah. Um, yeah, you had to go through a lot of pain to come to Nix and, and for it to be feasible. But one of the one of the things I, I see that a lot of the companies and the ecosystems are working together now on like you know improving the installer experience, on improving the, the, the interfaces, documentation and, and um and developer environments and so on. And um I think that will that will like you know, increase the adoption um, quite yeah. a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I think when, you know, the more people who, because for me, it took a long time to even understand the pain point, especially I do a lot of stuff with Python. And with Python, it's like a lot of times everything just works. You know, you just do mm -hmm. global installs and, uh, and, and things work okay. And so it's like, oh, why, why do I have to add this extra thing where I'm managing the environment and everything, everything seems to work okay. And that makes it worse because you don't get the, you know, you don't understand the pain if it's like, yeah, I can get it to work on my machine and it's fine and I don't want to hassle with it. Yeah. And then you have to have that big picture of, oh, 
there's all these parts and they can all move. They can all change <laughs> and they can change and randomly break your thing on another person's machine. Yeah. So, oh, okay. But it takes a while to come to that realization. Yeah. Yeah, you need to lose a lot of hours to understand that you'll never, mm -hmm. never get those back. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That's yeah and if you don't have that experience, if it's like everything's working okay for me for what I'm doing, then this is just like, why are you guys bothering with all of this? Yeah. It's it's kind yeah. of similar to what we talked about, you know, with object-oriented object programming. You, you need mm -hmm. to spend a lot of time into that debugger to start thinking maybe I, you know there's a better way to model this so that i don't have to spend you know four right. hours debugging my state um but that's yep. before that it's just it's just natural you're just debugging that's that's mm -hmm. how you solve problems well and it's a big mental shift to go from OO, which makes sense in your head to this other thing which is like well you've You've just broken everything that I've maybe <laughs> learned over the last 20 years. Yeah. Why Why do I do this? You know, the why yeah. is really hard to motivate, I think, in a lot of cases. Yeah. It so, is. It is. Yeah, it's fascinating. How did we get here? One, what do you say? One bad decision at a time? Or one, maybe not bad decision. <laughs> no, one logical step at a one time. One logical step so at a time. There we we go. got we got where we got one logical step at a time. But e So each logical step made sense. Right. But then when you see the whole chain of them, you're going, okay, but that, now we're, we've dead ended yeah. into a bad place. Yes. Yes. Docker. Yeah. Was one, got there one logical step at a time but oh <laughs> so um where's next going what's what's yeah. uh what's the future like um the future um so so now what's happening is there's more and more companies in the ecosystem and one of the the cool things is, is um we created a we kind of recreated an xos foundation which is kind of a, a joint um, currently, it's like a joint thing between different companies, nice. um, and it's it's kind of vendorless in that sense that you know it's it's an open source project and an open source community, kind of um, like the Python Software Foundation. Exactly. Yes. Okay. And and what's happening now is that you know there's more money coming in, more companies that we have even two VC companies, VC funded companies now. Wow. So I, I think a lot of these companies are are betting, including me, that you know we will we will make it as easy that anyone can use Nix, and that you know it becomes, you know, kind of like Docker, and understanding that Docker it's has ubiquitous, yeah, it has a smaller surface useful area than than it was sold to, and I think Nix will kind of uh, take over some part of that. Yeah. Um, so more or less, I would say developer experience. This is where where Nix is going to. To your focus the next years. yes nice that um, that yeah i i think that um could make a huge difference yeah yeah i like the the vision of you know let's let's relook at all the foundations and come up with a better way and and the better way has existed and, and exists but then how do we get it into the hands of the masses and that, mm -hmm. that being the kind of the next the next uh place you go with all this seems mm -hmm. seems great um what about the cloud story well like like I, I, as you said like you could always just you know take your nick stuff and create a docker container and run it you know in kubernetes or whatever cloud could you but... also do it with 
put putting next os in the cloud is that something people do yeah of course there's like uh, oh this is uh, quite a, a big topic and it's 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 really nice so a lot of the like you know for amazon we have just images you know you can just run next os yeah. and, and a lot of providers that allow you to do that um there's more most likely going to be an xos image um but then we have a couple of interesting things we have something called um well it's called key 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 exec feature of kernel where you can kind of like boot another oh like operating like another kernel that replaces the previous one huh. um and so we have it's called nixos assimilate or um but there's different version different naming for it so you can just like kind of bootstrap Nixos. Let's say you take a cloud provider with Debian, and you can just kind of like you know launch Nixos, and it takes over that machine. Assimilate, yeah. Assimilate, assimilate yes. I like it. Like, um, yeah, like you will work. be assimilated. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, for example, you know, in Europe we have Hetzner, which is crazy cheap. You can get like a you know a sixteen core Ryzen for fifty bucks a month. Um, oh. And and it's a it's a bare metal. So and and you have one command. Um, Numtide folks have written something called Nixos Remote, which will just uh, you do declaratively describe your partitioning uh, and your OS and everything, and it will with one command just run over and you have a, a Nixos running. Huh. Um, so there's there's a lot of there's a lot of tooling around the cloud that people yeah. have done in the past. Well, it seems um, like. One of the things that you hear stories about so often in cloud stuff is that somebody pushes some configuration change and then it breaks a bunch of stuff. You know, it's always like like configuration change. And it seems to me like Nix plus cloud gives you the opportunity to replicate your full environment in a you know fully re re reproducible way, and then test and roll back and you know have all those those nice things that you would want in a more reliable kind of execution cloud system. Um, but Nix just would form so much better of a basis for all that than than the what we have currently. Yeah. So um, that's kind of that's kind of a. A solved problem. What I think, what I expect, will happen in the next years. We will probably see some kind of a um, Heroku, but using Nix yeah. that will pop yeah. up. Um, exactly. Like, have... yeah, the Heroku for Nix. You just you go OAuth with GitHub and point it to your Nix scripts, and boom, you've got your whole environment uh, and your whole um, lifecycle management. You know, all your DevOps stuff, just all based on that would be that would be. Hopefully somebody creates that because I uh, would definitely. I'm absolutely, be I'm absolutely sure it will happen. Well, that's cool. Good. Well, nice. that's exciting. Nice. nice. Heroku for next. Mm. I like it. Really interesting. Um. Cool. Well, anything we missed? Anything? As we're we're total newbies in this space of next. I mean, we, I, I, I can right talk question. about this for 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 you know for for hours, but. Um, the ecosystem is is much bigger uh, than just what we talked about. There's like something called NixOS tests where you can describe different machines and then kind of like a script that guides and automates, you know, it can say like launch a service there and wait for its port to happen. And then, you know, yeah. assert a few things. So there is like 
um, the orchestration really cool. of, of, of more than just a single process orchestration of a whole system. It's like, Oh, I yeah. need a database and the database needs, uh, an LDAP and, <laughs> you know, like, like kind of construct the whole, the whole thing. Is that a replacement yeah. for Kubernetes? Kubernetes? Could be. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 in this case, it's more just like a, a, a testing framework. So, you know, you, you just, it's a normal Nix derivation, but we'll launch a bunch of VMs. Yeah run the automation it's like that yeah and then yeah. search the things um yeah. so what i would say is like where where anyone could benefit from you know using nix is just developer environments i think that's the 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 smallest step and the most useful one as well yeah um just add it to 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 the git repo and and have the tooling provided for your favorite language for your favorite tooling and so on yeah. um so nice. that would be the starting point and then slowly you know go around and explore um the rest of the ecosystem huh. awesome exciting yes well i'm looking forward to diving further in yeah yeah <laughs> i'm i'm intrigued um before we go yes I want to plug the Winter Tech Forum, yes, which is coming up, and it's here in the Crested Butte, here Colorado. in Crested Butte, Colorado. Up, if so, um, it's not about skiing and outdoor activities, but we do that. <laughs> um, and What's the dates for that? It is the end of. It's the last. It's the week of February and March where they overlap. Okay. Um, don't remember the dates right. exactly, but if you go to wintertechforum.com, you'll see. And um, this is all about creating conversations. We don't have speakers. We have open spaces sessions and we have discussions and things are happening from the moment you wake up till the moment you collapse into bed, you're interacting with people. And that's the great thing about it. And I imagine we will spend some time exploring Nick's further. I imagine yeah. there will be a workshop yeah. uh, on it, or and maybe a hack day. Who yeah. knows? Yeah. Project for it. Yeah. So cool. Well, Domin, thank you so much. That was uh, incredibly helpful. And um, yeah, thanks for all your work on Nick's, and definitely look forward to diving in further. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was. Uh a lot of fun and, and interesting, quite really good questions about uh, how Nix could be used and how it is used. Thank you so much for having me. All awesome. right. Have a good one. Yeah. Bye.